Well, greetings, brethren. Good morning on this happy Sabbath, this last day, this last great day. And uh, we did have a, a Bible study yesterday evening. Uh, hopefully you were able to join us. Uh, we had a great turnout, uh, a great turnout in person and also online. So I'm assuming most of you uh, were with us. And I did cover quite a bit of Ephesians chapter 6 uh, last night. So um, I won't go back over all of that, although we will read the whole chapter line by line. Uh, there was also a question that came up. It was a very good question. All the questions were great. Uh, great interaction. If you haven't, um, if you weren't with us last night, I would encourage you to find uh, yesterday's Bible study in the archive and review it. It was just a great interaction, great questions, and it, which I appreciated. Um, but there was one question afterward, I thought about it. Um, I, I could have done a better job answering that question uh, from our sister Sandy. So I do want to kick off uh, just going back over that question, and then we'll get into the study for today. We'll open with a word of prayer. Father, we uh, bow before your throne. Wow, Lord, we're so grateful to you. Thank you for bringing us through the Feast of Tabernacles and now this, this last great day. Uh, we thank you, Father, as we rehearse these days year upon year, that you deepen our understanding and you deepen our faith. And we just thank you, Lord, that we have access to your word. We pray now that you will uh, bless the eyes of our understanding, uh, the eyes of our enlightenment, Father, as we uh, study this word from the Apostle Paul. We thank you for it. We ask your blessing now in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uh, so, brethren, as I mentioned, uh, there was a question um, yesterday, a great question, and I, I think I answered it satisfactorily, but could have done a better job um, by quoting scripture. And the question from our sister Sandy was, is it possible for somebody in the covenant community, indwelt by the Holy Spirit, to also have a demonic spirit at the same time. And I said, you know, absolutely not. Um, and then I went on to talk about uh, why not. But in saying absolutely not, I think I, I could have done a better job by just quoting an example from scripture of what I mean. So let's look at that. <clears throat> Here we see, let me just um, fix this up. We see here in um, 1 Samuel 16, this is a great example of, uh, with Saul, that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit troubled him. So you can see this, that the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and that's what enabled the evil spirit to then take possession of Paul. And Saul's servant said unto him, said unto him behold now, an evil spirit from God troubles you. So, so this is where we can see very clearly that uh, the two do not coexist. That the Holy Spirit was with Saul, and when he grieved it, when he quenched it, when it left him, that's when this other spirit moved in. And Saul's servant spoke those words in the ears of David. Sorry, just skipping ahead now to chapter 18. I just wanted to show David's intervention now. And David said, uh, okay, I didn't want this thing. I didn't want verse, I wanted verse chapter 19. The evil spirit uh, from the Lord was upon Saul, as he sat in his house with his javelin in his hand, and David played with his hand. So this spirit has overtaken Saul. And you can see now he's with his brother David, his servant David. This is like a Cain and Abel situation, where Abel goes out into the field with his brother and has no idea how the evil spirit has orchestrated a plan within Cain to kill Abel. And it's the same thing here. David is playing the harp to, to ease 
uh, Solomon's possession and trouble. Meanwhile, Saul is full of envy and anger, and he wants to kill David. And in verse 10, and Saul sought to smite David even to the wall with the javelin. javelin. So he really threw it, like really, he wants to completely kill David. But David slipped away out of Saul's presence, and he smote the javelin into the wall, and David fled and escaped that night. So I wanted to quote uh, those, two, uh, that, those two chapters in 1 Samuel, just as scriptural reinforcement that the Holy Spirit and the demonic spirits do not coexist at the same time. That one can quench the spirit, and having quenched the spirit, one can then be possessed of an evil spirit. But having the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit indwelling in us, we're not going to have uh, a demonic spirit indwelling in us simultaneously. So Sister Sandy, thank you for your question. I hope that, uh, I hope that I answered it well yesterday, but I hope this scriptural support uh, just reinforces that answer. Now, bringing it back to Ephesians, where it says here, be you angry, and, and there's nothing wrong with righteous anger, but just make sure it's not anger rooted in sin rooted in selfishness, rooted in pride. And, and the test for that is not to let the sun go down upon your wrath. If the sun is going down upon your wrath, evil has taken hold of you. If you're going to bed and waking up still angry the next day, the next year, the next decade, uh, you have a real problem. And this is where you are under the influence of the devil. We can be angry and then res resolve the anger. We can be angry for the Lord and then we're not, you know, we're not in this constant state of anger, but we're angry for the Lord. This is all good. And then he really couples that now with neither give place to the devil. So this um, not having self-control, not having the ability to control our anger is where we can give opportunity for the devil to, 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 to come back into our lives and, 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 and take hold of us. And this is going back to Torah. <clears throat> Leviticus 18.19 Also you shall not approach uh, This is the wrong verse. Sorry, hang on a second. Let me just, uh, I think it was, maybe it's 19.18. Let me just look at that. Leviticus 19. Just rushing this morning to put these scriptures together. Let me make sure I've got the right one here. Leviticus 19.18 Yes. Uh, you shall not avenge. So this is not within the, 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 the covenant community for us to take vengeance. You shall not avenge, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So again, if we're harboring uh, grudges, if we're harboring anger, this is not the way of God. And so this is clearly in the Torah. Do not bear a grudge against anybody in the covenant community, and don't seek your own vengeance. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, in addition to that, I wanted to just cover here in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 6, again, just still with uh, Sister Sandy's question. Therefore, I put you in remembrance that you stir up the gift of God, which is in you by the putting on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. So you can't have a sound mind if you have an evil spirit taking possession of your mind. So here we have, God has not given us the spirit of fear. Instead, he's given us the spirit of power. 
of love and of a sound mind. So I think when we put all of these um, passages together, it should become crystal clear that God's people who have the Holy Spirit indwelling in them cannot be possessed by an evil spirit simultaneously. We can certainly quench the spirit. And then what does uh, um, Christ say? That the man who, you know, he was relieved of this uh, demon possession, um, if he does not stay true to the, the right path, then the demon comes back, and when it sees that the house is empty and has been swept clean, it brings seven other demons with him to take possession of the man. So we who are in this way need to be very, very careful not to quench the spirit. Okay, we're into Ephesians chapter 6, and it's a kind of unfortunate chapter break between 5 and 6. I, I think that it would have been better for them not to break the chapter at verse 33. So let's just go back and pick up the last couple of verses from chapter 5 to, to feed into chapter 6, where the apostle is now talking to husbands and wives. So at first he was talking to the whole congregation, telling them to submit one another, to love one another, to avoid the works of the flesh. And then he zeroed in on the family unit. And he spoke to wives first, and then to husbands. And he ended that passage by saying, this is a great mystery. What everything, all the instruction that he's been giving them about marriage is a great mystery. Uh, but he lets them know that the, the mystery concerns Christ and the church. Nevertheless, although you're not going to fully comprehend the great mystery, make sure that every one of you in particular so love his wife as himself and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And I just have here the A-B uh, pattern and of complementarity in God's way. And yesterday with the Bible study, I spoke about the, the um, demonic ideologies are all rooted in conflict. And, and Karl Marx himself just clearly conflict theory. The root of Marxism is conflict theory. And so it's about these human minds clashing with each other in conflict. And the demonic world loves that, especially if there's uh, bloodshed or what we could call human sacrifice. So create this conflict to ultimately lead to human sacrifice. This is what the, demonics, the demonic world loves. And this is a form of demonic worship. But God's way is the opposite. A true Christian does not get seduced into conflict into conflict theory. Now, when we're defending the Word of God, then, you know, we have to contend for the faith once delivered. That's very different than this conflict theory that, that's based on covetousness, that somebody has what you don't have, and therefore you covet what they have, and therefore you engage in conflict to destroy and to remove what they have. And so all of this rioting we see, where people are happy to destroy other people's businesses simply because they don't have it. This is the, the, the way human minds work when they're under demonic influence. They, they, are, they are deep into conflict. The way the Christian mind works, the way this, this sound mind works, when we have the power of the Holy Spirit, is rather than engage in conflict, we engage in complementarity, in harmony. So I have the A and the B, that God gives instructions to one brain, one mind, but then he gives instruction to the other mind that is interacting with that mind so that the two minds can work in a complementary fashion. So the husband has to love the wife, and the wife has to reverence the husband. And when both do their part, we have harmony. Now, continuing in that vein, that's why I say there shouldn't be a chapter break. We're dealing with the family unit here. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord. So the same way that the wife 
must submit to her husband, but that doesn't give the husband the right to abuse her and to oppress her because she's doing that knowing that the husband must love his wife the way Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. So now we have the same vulnerability in 6.1, where children can be very vulnerable. They're, they're powerless. They're very vulnerable people. And this is sort of the beauty of Christianity. You look around the world, all the different systems and ideologies and religious systems and political systems, and it's only those countries that have been influenced by the teachings of Jesus Christ where the vulnerable are protected. You go into any other type of uh, nation, any other ideology, and you take advantage of the vulnerable. You have grown men 60, 70 years old marrying six-year-old children and basically raping them to death. You have women being constantly stoned to death and, and accused of who knows what, and they can't defend themselves. In all of these societies that do not have the influence of Jesus Christ, the vulnerable suffer because of the demonic influence. So here, children are very vulnerable. And they're just told very clearly, obey your parents. But it's not just obey your parents, where your parents become an idol. Same thing with, with, with women. If women just obey their husbands, no matter what their husbands say, then the husband has become an idol. The husband is actually replacing Christ. But no, you're obeying Christ, and then you're serving your husband and supporting your husband as if you're supporting Christ, not in lieu of Christ. And same with the children. Obey your parents in the Lord. So if parents are instructing children to do something that goes against God, then for the children to obey that would be idolatry. So the parents have authority within the Lord. So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is righteousness. Honor, then he quotes Exodus 20. Honor your father, I think it's verse 12. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, so all of the other commandments up to this one, there's no promise associated with them. This is the first, not the only. This is the first commandment with promise. You know, now go beyond the Ten Commandments. There are many more commandments that God will give, and there's a promise associated with them. Go to Deuteronomy 28 and see all the promises associated with the commandments. But this is the first time there's a commandment and there's a promise associated with it. That's how important this commandment is. And this is, again, you look at these uh, Marxist movements where Karl Marx hated the family, hated God, loved Satan. And now these, these, these satanic movements want to destroy, they want to blow up the Western prescribed nuclear family. That is utter nonsense and purely satanic. It is in the nuclear family, the God-ordained family, from creation, that human minds are shaped that you shape a human mind in this family, in this godly structure, between zero to seven years old. And that mind is then set. It has been the, 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 the synapses, the, the neural pathways have been formed a certain way, and that child is set for life. Or destroyed. That they, they would be so warped and messed up that only by the miracle healing, miraculous healing, of God's Holy Spirit can that person have any hope at all. So we have to defend the family, and we cannot support movements that are out to blaspheme and destroy the family. And he says, so the, and he actually quotes the promise in Exodus, that it may be well with you 
and you may live long on the earth. Ultimately, when God fulfills all of his plans and we come into this millennial age, if, if you're not uh, following the commandment of honoring your parents, you cannot function, you will not be a healthy human being to function in the millennium and you'll end up in the lake of fire. So, so this is really, really critical. But again, what I said is that's part A of the complementary pattern. If God only commands one side, then that side is vulnerable. If the wife just has to do everything the husband says, no matter what, which is the case in, you look at something like Islam, then the wife will be abused, human nature being what it is. But God safeguards the vulnerable by giving a command to the other side as well. So the children are vulnerable now, but the other side is, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath. You, you can make your children very angry. You, you can make them disillusioned. You, you can make them very frustrated. Don't parent like that. You know, be, be easy, not, not easy in terms of permissive, but understanding they're human beings with their own minds. I mean, as a parent uh, who has raised children uh, in the Lord, and they are now successful adults, it is amazing to me, it's quite miraculous when we're sitting at the dinner table and, and talking, and these are adults in my home, and maybe they're advising me or giving me their perspective on a matter that is completely different from my own. And it's fascinating, but there's this bond of peace and this bond of love that comes because of how they were trained and how their minds have been wired. And there's this respectfulness that they have that we can just count on. It's just there because of how they've been trained. But I have had to learn to balance and that they're, they're their own people. They think differently than I do. They have different passions and desires than I have. They have their own lives. And so we have to uh, encourage that and empower that and not provoke them that you have to be just like me. You know, your dad is this way, you need to be just like that. No, this is going to provoke them to wrath. So, so there's a balancing act here. And then, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And the Proverbs say that when a child is raised this way, ultimately they will not depart from it. Servants, so that's now we had, we had the husband and wife as the original foundational unit. Children come out of that, so now we have children and parents as the next level. And then these children grow up and they work for employers. And so this is the next level of authoritarian relationship that we're going to encounter. And God has instructions for this. Christians should be the best employees. If, you know, where we're like myself, I don't work, I work for myself. My clients should rave about the Christian experience without me beating them over the head with a Bible. They should just experience something different. If you do have a, a, a manager, you work for somebody, uh, your manager should be like, wow, this person is really unique. This person is amazing. You fathers, so, so sorry, verse five, servants, or today we would say employees, be obedient to them that are your masters. And again, uh, your masters according to the flesh. They're not your masters, but according to the flesh they are. And in this, in this time, they, these, they really were masters. But in our case, we would say your employers. But the instruction for Christians is to be obedient, not to engage in riot and demonstrations and trying to overthrow and, 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 uh, and uh, loot and smash windows. 
<laughs> this is just not the Christian way. This is the satanic way. This is the way of following the demons. Christians don't behave this way. Employees, be obedient to your managers, according to the flesh. Your, your people who are over you according to the flesh. With fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, like just be totally focused on your work and serve your, your manager the way you would serve Christ. The wife submits to her husband the way she would submit to Christ. The children obey their parents the way they would submit to Christ. And employees submit to their employers the way that they would submit to Christ. I know it's difficult language, but this is the language of the Bible. And don't do it with eye service. As men pleasers, what does that mean? It means that, you know, when I was a young man, I was a, a security guard. And uh, my first day on the job, I was trained by, I was trained by the security guard I was replacing. And he just basically told me how not to do my job, how only to do it when people are looking. And I did the exact opposite. I was, I was a Christian then, I was new in the faith, but I did the exact opposite. I did my job. But this is, this is what eye service means. You only work when somebody's looking. And to be a men pleaser means you only do it just to get their approval. No, don't do it like that. Be authentically committed to doing your best work, no matter who it is. It, it doesn't matter that the employer is not a nice person. They're your master according to the flesh, and you serve them. As you, your ministry, so to speak, your preaching of the gospel, so to speak, is how you work for your employer. They might be a terrible person, but in the end they say, you know what, that's the best employee I ever had. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. It's the will of God that you work well. You don't complain and say, well, he's got more than I do. Why should I work for him? He's the man, <laughs> you know? He's, he, does, he can afford for me to, to skip off work. I'll take a sick day today. He's got money, he can afford it. This is not the Christian way. The Christian way is to truly serve the way Joseph did, the way Daniel did. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service, as to the Lord and not to men. So yeah, they're your masters in, in the flesh, but you serve them in the spirit as if you were serving Christ. This is the Christian way. This is the Christian mind. Knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, the same shall he receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. So we're not focused, that the Marxists want us to be focused on this life. And somebody has money in their bank account and we don't, how do we get the money out of their account and into ours? Somebody has a house and we don't have it, how do we burn down that house if we can't have it? Or how do we take it over and run them out of the house? This is bizarre, absolutely bizarre, and, and just satanic, and has nothing to do with Christ. If they have material things, good for them. Hope it works out for them. But we do know that most people that have material things, they go a bit loopy in the head. You know, you go to, you look at the people who are just blessed with all kinds of wealth, their children commit suicide, or they commit suicide, or they're addicted to drugs, or material things, this is not the measure of a man's success. So they have these things, you don't have it, so what? You have the promises. You have the promises. And, and we are focused on receiving the reward from the Lord. And so knowing that whatsoever good thing any man does, so do your thing and, and knowing this, that the same you, you will receive of the Lord, whether he be bond or free. It doesn't matter what state you're in. 
this doesn't matter. This is according to the flesh. But the Lord is going to reward you according to the spirit. Now that's the A in the AB pattern. But it's not that if you have a Christian master now, he can just, knowing this, he can just take advantage of you and ask you to do all kinds of things. No, there's a flip side as well. And you masters, or you managers, you employers, do the same things unto them. Forbearing threatening, the same way with the parent, don't be threatening all the time. Forbear that, leave that alone. Knowing that your master also is in heaven. So you're, you're a master over them, but you have a master as well. It's like the, the um, I think it was the centurion, who his daughter needed to be healed. And, and Christ was going to go with him. And he said, no, 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 I, I have people under me. I know when I tell them what to do, they do it. So you don't need to come to my house. Just, just command, and I know she'll be healed. And Christ was impressed with that. But he could come to that understanding because he was a good manager. And he had good employees. So in the same way, we uh, can be employers, but we can be good employers because we know we have a master. And so the way we want Christ to treat us, that's the way we're going to treat our employees. You masters do the same things unto them, forbearing threatening, knowing that your master also is in heaven. Neither is there respective persons with him. Again, somebody can have all the wealth in the world and another person has nothing. When we stand before God, it's not because somebody has wealth that they'll get favor from God. Or the other way around, there's actually a, a verse in the Torah that says, do not favor the poor man. When the rich and the poor come to you for judgment, with today's Marxist ideology, you automatically you give the benefit of the doubt to the poor. The Torah says, don't dare do that. Rich and poor come before you, and if the poor is wrong, you judge the poor, and you make sure that the poor recompenses the rich. Not because, you know, they're poor and they're, you can take advantage of them, which is the way most societies work, or the way our society works now, if somebody's rich or white or male or Christian, that automatically they're wrong. No. We judge according to Torah and judge righteously. So there's no respect of persons. The way we have a society now that's gone insane and is respecting persons, not for their character, but for nonsense things they have no control over. So Christ will not respect, just because we have a position, that doesn't do anything in our time of judgment with God. And so that A-B pattern was really introduced in Ephesians 5.21, where we're to submit ourselves one to another. This is how the Christian mind works. This is the self-control, the power that the Holy Spirit gives us over ourselves so that we can engage in this A-B pattern. And so all of these instructions that we see are just helping us understand how human minds successfully engage with one another. And then uh, last night we spent most of our time here in Ephesians 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, my brethren, so after all of this instruction that we've come through, beginning when we began at the feast uh, uh, last uh, Sunday, uh, going through all of these letter, uh, chapters of the letter, he now comes to his conclusion. So we have to have the force of all of his writing. And this is what I covered yesterday. All of this we have to keep in mind as he comes to his conclusion. Finally, my brothers, be strong in the Lord. This is the struggle. Obeying our parents in the Lord. Submitting to our husband in the Lord. Loving our wife in the Lord. All of this, you know, being a good employer in the Lord. 
being a great employee in the Lord. All of this is part of the struggle and requires a Christian mind to pull this off. So again, when we're seduced into demonstrating and rioting, and we want our, what do we want? Justice, when do we want it? Now, when we're, we're in this um, vein popping, eye bulging, you know, throat tearing rage over justice. This has nothing to do with the Holy Spirit. So having the Holy Spirit, having this great power within us gives us this self-control to engage in this A-B pattern of how human minds complement each other. And even if the other doesn't engage in their part, we engage in our part, as unto the Lord. So finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord. All of these instructions that I gave you as to how to be in the Lord, be strong in that. And in the power of his might. It's an epic struggle. And the principalities and powers are trying to seduce us away from our role in this A-B complementarity pattern. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. When we read verse 11 here, we should get the sense of the incredible, you know, gale force wind of the power and the cleverness of the devil. That to stand as a Christian against this is miraculous. That we shouldn't take it for granted that, oh, I'm a spiritual person, I can stand. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. We have to understand just how powerful this is. This is a mastermind who understands not just you. He hasn't just been studying you and his demons haven't been just studying you since you've been born. He's been studying humanity since Adam. As God was creating Adam, he was studying. What is this? And then he created Eve and he's studying and he's studying the relationship between them and the instructions God has given them. And he's using his mastermind to figure out how to upend them. And then when God chose Israel, he studies these people. And he figured out how to upend them. And throughout the history, even now to the church, even with the Holy Spirit, this mastermind is constantly studying and coming up with new methods and effective methods to upend God's people. So please, let's not take this for granted. This is serious. We, we have been enrolled into an epic struggle. So do everything you can to put on the whole armor of God so that you can be strong in the Lord because we're up against the wiles of the devil. And, and we're, we're wrestling not with flesh and blood for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. And I think Christians, everything that we're involved in, and anytime we are involved in conflict, because there's times that we have to be involved in conflict. There are times when conflict comes to us. There are times that we have to go on the offensive with the sword in hand. But whenever we're involved in any kind of conflict, we have to ask ourselves, okay, what is the power behind this conflict? And do I understand that my conflict is not with the human being? It's not with flesh and blood. It's with the principalities and powers behind it. And am I walking circumspectly? Am I walking according to this vocation? Am I, am I using the armor of God to defend and to go on the offense with the sword? So we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And, and again, so, you know, sometimes you see people, they're just so emotional. Why? Because they're caught up in themselves. 
which is flesh and blood. They're caught up in themselves and they're caught up in the human realm. And we need to help each other get out of that and see things from a much bigger picture, an eternal picture and a holistic picture. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world. It's amazing. This is what we're up against, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenly, in the Epiraneus, in the heavenly places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Don't allow any point of weak, spiritual weakness. Don't have a spiritual Achilles heel because these demonic beings are serious. They are looking to take us out and they're patient. You may think you're doing well, but they know, you know, one week from now, two weeks from now, three years from now, they know how humanity is unfolding and they have a plan for all of humanity and they're controlling the governments of this world. And so they're just saying, yeah, the weakness is there, wait. Because in two years time, in five years time, we will pass this global legislation and that weakness will be able to take them all out. So this is why we need to be taking the time now to making sure we do not have these spiritual Achilles heels. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, sorry, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. So it's not just about standing today. Let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. You may be standing today. I may be standing today. But the point is to be preparing for the evil day so that we can stand in the evil day. Because when the evil day comes, the majority will fail. When the evil day comes, the majority will betray. When the evil day comes, the love of the majority will wax cold. So just being standing today, congratulations, that's great. That's wonderful. We rejoice that we're standing today. The point is, can we stand and withstand in the evil day, which is coming? And having done everything to stand. It's not having done a little bit to stand, having done kind of a casual approach to stand. It's taking this serious. This is why the majority fail, because the majority don't take this seriously. We have to take this really, really seriously, redeeming the time, preparing ourselves, getting ready, so that when the evil day comes, we will do everything we can to stand. Here in Revelation 13, speaking of the evil day and being able to stand, in Revelation 13, 10, it says, he that leads into captivity, that is the beast power, shall go into captivity. Why? Because Christ led captivity captive. Christ is now far above all principalities and powers, human, spiritual, otherwise. He's over everything. So this tremendous human power, which is uh, controlled by and empowered by this tremendous spiritual power behind it, taking the people of God captive, Christ says he will lead him into captivity. He that kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. You want justice? This is justice. This is God's justice. And in understanding God's justice, here is the patience and faith of the saints. If we don't understand God's justice, if we want social justice now, we'll be taken out. We will be seduced and taken out. What we want is God's justice in God's time. God says, vengeance is mine, we'll wait. 
Blessed are those that wait upon the Lord. We'll wait. We'll wait for this. And it is in this understanding, embedded in this understanding, is the patience and the faith of the saints. So if you see anybody that's impatient, wants justice now, wants social justice now, they will be taken out. I'm sorry. We have to pray. We have to do all we can to help them to see this, that yes, there will be injustice, terrible injustice. And it's all being orchestrated right now as we speak against the people of God. And God says, be patient. Vengeance is mine. You got my, ju my justice is coming on my time. We want God's justice on his time. And it is in this understanding of the bigger picture that we have our patience. In our patience, we'll possess our souls. And it's in, it's in this understanding, this is where the faith is. Again, in uh, Revelation 14, 12, as he outlines the uh, incredible power and influence of the beast, he says, here is the patience of the saints as we understand that God is far above all of these powers. This is where the patience of the saints is. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So to get through this, we have to have on the whole armor of God in order to have the patience of the saints and to wait for the justice of God. In Daniel 11 and verse 32, he says, and such as do wickedly against the covenant shall he corrupt by flatteries. Brother shall betray brother. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploit. So the majority will fail. But those who have done all to put on the whole armor of God and having done all to stand, God willing, we will do exploits. In a, in a time of complete horror and complete terror, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and of love, and of a sound mind. So we will be able to operate in all of this nightmarish horror and do exploits for God, if we do all we can to stand. In Matthew 24, verse 11, Christ says, and many false prophets shall rise. That is critical. Yesterday I spoke about the importance of teaching. The human mind, you know, the, the brain is empowered by glucose, but the mind, is empowered by knowledge. That's why over and over and over, Paul says, grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we need teachers. And that's why Satan needs false teachers and false prophets. Because we see the world, we interpret the world by the knowledge, by the stories, by the narratives that were fed. And so the whole world now is being fed a narrative around social justice which is setting the whole world up to rally against Jerusalem. It's, it's a setup that there's a pattern of, of, that's emerging that ultimately will result in the whole world being united against Jerusalem and Christ returning and destroying all the tribes of the earth. And brethren even are getting caught up in this because there are false teachers and false prophets. And so this is a necessary... Um, development in the path to the, to the destruction of God's people, that there will be false teachings and false prophets, and they shall deceive many, not a few. Many will deceive many. Most will be taken out. And so this is the evil day that we have to be preparing to stand in. 
And because iniquity shall abound, the agape, the spiritually uh, empowered love of most Christians will wax cold. This is the evil day. But he that puts on the whole armor of God and does all he can or she can to stand and endures to the end, that's the one that shall be saved. It's, it's a very few. It's not everybody. The majority will fail because the majority are not taking this seriously. They're not putting on the whole armor of God, realizing it's not that I'm standing now, it's that I need to stand in the evil day. Now, speaking of the evil day, and we covered a little bit of this yesterday when we uh, looked at Second Thessalonians, uh, or I think it was Second Thessalonians 1, uh, where the apostasy, the great apostasy, the great falling away is foretold. But Paul repeats it here to uh, his protege, uh, Timothy, when he says, look, Timothy, the spirit is clear. There's no if, ands, or buts about this. The spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, coming into this evil day, in the latter times, some, a, a, a percentage, will depart from the faith. They will not stand. They were not putting on the armor of God and they did not understand that we are battling against principalities and powers. They got seduced. It's very clear. The Spirit, the spirit is not um, ambiguous about this. It is a very clear instruction by Christ himself that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith. How tragic. Giving heed they, they, they have ear, itching ears. Whatever they're hearing, it's smooth to them. And they will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Again, that's why yesterday's study, we spoke about the necessity and the centrality of godly teaching. We need the teachers. We need the teaching. God, Christ said, if you love me, feed my sheep. This is why. So... Let us not be complacent. Let us not be overconfident, thinking that, you know, because I'm standing now, no problem. Once saved, always saved. No, 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 no. Let's do all we can to get ready to withstand the onslaught that is coming before Christ returns. The devil knows that he has a short time. He's going to be pulling out all the stops. And our world is changing. It's changing rapidly. And demonic forces are really flexing their muscles in seducing ways, in ways that make us feel good about ourselves, but engage in conflict and human sacrifice and witchcraft. We have to see things from a spiritual lens. Back to Ephesians 6. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth. We care about truth. We go to battle with truth. We don't fall victim to falsehoods. Having your loins girt about with truth and, and Ephesians 1 to 3, let's immerse ourselves in those truths that are in the first half of Ephesians. And having on the breastplate of righteousness, Ephesians 4 to 6, gives us the instructions of how to be righteous. And it is in, in that righteous living that the breastplate protects our vital organs, particularly the heart. You know, there's a part in Ephesians 4 where he talks about the things that are done by Christians in secret, 
it would blow your mind what Christians are up to in secret because they're allowing themselves to be seduced. And then he says we must expose them. Don't hide it. You know, I think sometimes we go too far in trying to keep everything confidential. Paul says expose them, expose these works so that people know don't do these things. So if we're engaging in this, these things secretly, our hearts are being darkened and we, have, we don't have the breastplate to protect our vital organs. The righteousness, all these righteous instructions of how to be strong in the Lord, he gives us in Ephesians 4 to 6. And notice this now in verse 15, and I touched on this yesterday, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. That word preparation, I think we read over it, that the purpose of the teachers is to prepare and to empower the disciples so that they in turn can prepare and empower other disciples. That, that I, I should have looked up the scripture in Acts, I believe it's Acts 8, when persecution came upon the church and the apostles said, we will stay in Jerusalem and face this persecution. You guys run, run for your life. When they ran for their lives, they took the gospel with them because the apostles were preparing them with the gospel of peace. And so that's, even though the apostles stayed in Jerusalem, the gospel spread. And so in the same way, we cannot have a passive church. We cannot have a church that's ineffective. The purpose of the ministry is to empower the brethren, to preach the gospel, and also to edify the body. Preach the gospel, edify the body. And so while we're in these times of relative peace, uh, what our brother Bernard called soft persecution, this is the time to be preparing, to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within you. And if you study that passage, it's in the context of persecution. But not only, it's not just the knowledge that we have of how to preach the gospel. It's also how we, the wisdom that we gain, depending on who we're talking to, how to preach the gospel. So very, very important that we're taking this time, putting on the armor of God and preparing for the gospel of peace. And above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And there's many sermons we've had that have gone through these, these um, passages. So these are fiery darts, but we need the shield of faith. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of the Lord. So the sword now is going on the offense with the word of the Lord. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. So prayer is a big part of, of this, this armor and what we do. And praying for all saints. And for me, that is for the apostle, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. So he was in the role of an evangelist, and he was teaching the unchurched. He was going to the Gentiles and sharing the gospel with them, and also to the Jew. The Jew first, but also the Gentiles. And, and so not everybody does the same thing. And his part in the body was exactly this. So he, he says to pray for him as well. So everybody's doing their part, and he has a part, and we're supporting him in his part. And today, they, there, there are certain men that have to do this part and have to do it boldly. And we should be praying for those men that they can do their part. For which I am an emboss, ambassador in bonds. So he was in prison then, he's the prisoner of the Lord. And for, for doing the, his reward, for preaching the truth, was being imprisoned. So for which I am an ambassador in bonds, 
and that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. So he sees himself, he doesn't see himself as a prisoner, he sees himself as an ambassador for the Lord. And he's speaking boldly so that the Roman guard themselves end up converting to, to the way. But that you also may know my affairs and how I do, Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister. So he calls him out as a faithful minister because he was very worried about the Ephesian ministers. But this is a faithful minister in the Lord, shall make known unto you all things. So you'll get to learn of my, my state. Whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose, that you might know our affairs and that he might comfort your hearts. And as the brethren come to know their affairs, they could pray more effectively for him. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, very, very clear the goodwill that the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ have toward us. Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. So what an amazing, amazing uh, little book that's just so jam-packed. And uh, you, I think I would just encourage everybody to just sit down and just read this book uh, and, and go through the, the teachings that we've had here uh, as a starter, as a way to initiate your study of the book. Uh, so take it further. And, and for example, I, I, yesterday I really focused on kind of giving a survey of the book of this uh, epic struggle between the Christian and the prince of the power of the air and the principalities and powers. But that that's, we engage in that struggle with a power that is far above the principalities and powers. And so that clearly is a theme through the book. But if you look here in, uh, I did a search on the, the uh, word peace. If you look at the word uh, peace, the, there's a theme of shalom, of peace in the book. It's mentioned seven times from start to finish throughout the book. Uh, I focused on power. Uh, eight times there's this theme from start to finish on power in the book. If you look at grace, there's a theme of grace. Twelve times it's mentioned from start to finish in the book. And finally, most importantly, love. Thirty-eight times this theme of love is mentioned in the book. So. There's a lot of study that can be done around what the Apostle Paul, remember the Apostle Paul met with the risen Christ and studied under the risen Christ as a, as a highly educated scholar in, in the Word. And he came to understand so much and so enlightened. And so we cannot read, oh yeah, I read Ephesians, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah I know the Bible. <laughs> we have to be very respectful of this man's knowledge in the Lord. And there's so much that can be done. So I hope that uh, through this feast, I've been, help, I've been able to help you uh, scratch the surface of this book and that you'll be uh, encouraged and motivated to go back through it and study it more deeply and share your insights with the brethren and do your part in this epic struggle that we've been grafted into and drafted into. It's an amazing book. And again, as I opened up this whole study, if the ancient Israelites were commanded to rejoice because of the increase, the physical increase, the blessings of physical increase at the work of their hands, how much more should we rejoice because of all the spiritual blessings, God holding nothing back, that we enjoy at the work of God's hands, at the work of Christ's hands. This is just an amazing mystery that we are now a part of. Let's stay focused, brethren.
And let's remember to put on the whole armor of God. Jesus Christ is Lord, and he's coming very, very soon. We just have to be patient, brethren, and get through the evil day, knowing that Christ is far above all these principalities and powers. God bless. Have a great last great, last great day. And we're looking forward to uh, resuming our study on Psalms, uh, God willing, on October 14th. God bless.